nice things. Hello, good evening, and welcome to another fun-packed, thrill-filled edition of Nice Things. Nice Things. Lovely. The antidote to modern living. And joining me this week, Sir Michael Livesley, we have... Paul Darrow. Oh, Paul There's Darrow. one for you. Yes. Yes, yes. He of Blake 7. Absolutely. And I will explain <laughs> why. Uh, shall I explain why now? Or shall why I explain why in a little not? bit? I mean, it's not? very... Oh, by the way, just to tell yeah. the ladies and gentlemen at home, it's still very warm. Therefore, Paul is still incorrect. Right. Now, let's just be clear, though. Okay. It hasn't, it hasn't been warm all week, has it? It's been on and off. It's shifting. Okay. It's autumn. It's definitely autumn. I know is it's it? autumn. It is. It's autumn because, all right, it's hot right now. Yes. But it wasn't hot this morning. No. We are shifting gradually, really. Yes, indeed. We used to call this an Indian summer. Are you still allowed to say that? No, you're not. No. All right, so it's just <laughs> hot. It's just hot it's now. It's just hot now. Oh, Absolutely okay, hot now. Okay. Inter- a, f- a friend, uh, a mutual friend of ours was... Uh, saying earlier on he ended up in an argument the other day uh, because he was discussing in a script how if you've got comedic characters, then, you know, he said, well, you've always got to have a straight man. Oh, uh, he got he got absolutely uh, what? Know, t- really? taken down for that. Well, yeah, but, but and that's a strange one because I just immediately go, Ernie Wise. Of but, course. Uh, no, no, but there we go. I don't understand what's so... Right, okay, so so that's <laughs> off the menu now. So you what see, I'm saying is, is you again, can't say Indian summer, do you? No. You can't say Indian summer. No, well, it's a allowed. good job I didn't, isn't it? <laughs> you know, otherwise... Could have been tricky. Um, so, Paul Darrow. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, but it is awesome. I know this because I've changed my choice of drink. To uh, I noticed, back. yes. We're, we're on the ginger beer now. Ah, oh, you can't call it old Jamaica ginger beer. You absolutely can't. I'm going to complain no. to Morrison's tomorrow. Right. So uh, it'd be like, uh, do you remember in uh, like butterflies and that years ago they put black electric tape over Kellogg's and Heinz and just like that. <laughs> yeah. So you'll have to put a bit of black electric tape. Not that that is a racist term either. Um, no. Over <laughs> over the word old Jamaica as well. I always loved that uh, when they did it. You won't know this when they did it on Blue Peter when they were doing their makes, and it would be that they'd have a box of cornflakes, and there'd be a massive bit of gaffer over yeah. pretty much all of it, but enough so that you knew what it was. <laughs> and then they'd say cereal packet, and you're like, "It's cornflakes. I can see that." Well, like, it's like the, we used to have these sort of lovely suspensions of reality, didn't we? Whereby we weren't allowed to hear Jerry Adams's voice on the other channel. That you, oh no, no, that. that was on all of them. That was on all of them, wasn't it? I love that. Yeah, uh, I love uh, Rob Newman, um, wonderful uh, comic from the Murray Whitehouse experience. Used to do a thing about um, when he said, uh, "You've got to be really careful watching Jerry Adams if the sign language person is on, because they'll be interpreting what he's actually saying." He said, "That's just showing you how to make bombs." <laughs> <laughs> he was fantastic, and they fell out spectacularly, didn't they? Spectacularly, they they are talking now. Apparently. I believe so. Yeah, I saw that a while yeah, back. I don't I don't know if we're going to get another reunion. That I always nice. remember in uh, Partridge where he was, uh, you know, oh, you scary Irish men and all that. When he had Graham Linehan and Arthur Matthews, didn't he play in those yes. TV execs from Ireland? And he was asked to describe Jerry Adams, and he was like, a deputy headmaster. And then it was like, and Martin McGuinness, a clown without makeup. <laughs> 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 and I thought that was just so so spot on. 
It absolutely is. Oh, so, so yeah. So anyway, it's the, it's it is the ginger beer for me at the moment. It's the ginger um, beer for me, dear boy. Absolutely. <laughs> but I've I've made a terrible error because um, I've, I've I do. Are you allowed to thing. say ginger beer? You see, we're, so. we're in murky waters here. We like are. Your new, we like are. your new autumnal drink. Oh God, is rhyming slang out now? Because I should uh, think so. Upset I've the got the Ronnie, listeners. the Ronnie Barker book of rhyming slang here, and I'm, I'm amazed it's not been impounded yet. Yeah, Fletcher's be, book of rhyming slang. That'll be being burned in the street. Um, there's, a, but, there's a double page in there of insults, and and we would just be flogged naked through the streets of Aberdeen if I read them out now. Oh well, no, I know. So, Paul Darrow. Well, yes, uh, I was about to say, but I do have one a nice thing quickly, which is I, I have a thing for glasses, for collecting fancy glasses. I do have a few. Oh, yeah. But unfortunately, there's, here's the error with this one, because you see, here's, here's the ginger beer. Uh, it's quite a big glass. Gin tell balloon. You, yeah, tell me when you see the problem with the design. Imagine oh. all that balanced, listeners. You've got basically a, a pint glass balanced on a tiny stem. It looks like a very... <sighs> Well-filled bank holiday condom. <laughs> it does. It does, yes, yes. So I'm uh, terrified she... of putting it down in case, you know, because the slightest vibration, if I say nice things at it without holding it, the bloody thing will fall over. But uh, anyway. Oh, well, chin-chin. No, no. Good health. Uh, so Paul Darrow. Very good for the skin. <laughs> Paul Darrow, Paul Darrow. Paul Darrow, yes. Paul Darrow. Well, Paul Daniels. Um, now, now, here's the thing. Um, I've recently... Uh, oh, God, I thought I'd knocked the glass over. It's the ginger beer bottle, listeners. Mm. Don't well, it is a bank holiday coming up. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Darrow. Um, yes. I've, I've recently... Oh, well, I've on the old Twitter, um, yes. I've got Big Finish Productions. <clears throat> Them of Northern Voices uh, right. fame. Yes. Um, and... But I've got notifications turned on for them now, and unfortunately, they keep tempting me, Mike. Um, so the first, uh, well, the re- latest temptation arrived today, which is this. This is uh, oh, Carolyn nice. Seymour reading Terry Nation Survivors. Terry Nation wrote a novel, yes. and I'm quite excited to hear what it's like. I've never and read it. It's a very expensive novel if you try and buy it on eBay, by the way. Really? All right. Well, Big Finish got me because they uh, this was reduced from £24.99 to £7.99. Oh, a steal. Had to. Then then they kept tempting me. And so um, the day before yesterday, um, up comes a Blake Seven uh, ah. drama, Warship, starring the original cast. And do you know what I love about this? Um, what I love most of all with this is that the cast of Com- had completely gone to seed. Um, so there's Blake. Can you see Gareth Thomas there? Yeah, yeah. And what I love about it, he looks a little older at this point. Uh, and pushed. Absolutely, yes. And what I love is that his voice had really aged and he makes right. no effort to sound young at all. <laughs> I love that. He's just he's just taking his time and you can hear the beer on the voice. Um, but this was all started by this arriving, which is Paul Darrow. Ah, Reading his own autobiography. Very dashing man. Oh, and it's absolutely wonderful because, I, well, for a start-up, I didn't know he was brought up about a mile and a half from where I live. Wow. Um, which I had no idea of. And I should have, he, well, maybe he should have said that because I met Paul Darrow seven years ago 
at a little TV event that was organised here in the village, um, in one of what was then a pub and is now a very fancy seafood restaurant. TV fifty three or something was it called? Something like that. <laughs> we just sat down and watched the coronation. That Lovely. was it. You love um, that? Oh, I've got it. <laughs> I've got the coronation. No, but you'd have that as a little day out. Yes. Oh, yeah. If anybody fancies a, a watch along of the coronation, I'm up for that. Um, one of the guests was Paul Darrow. And the first thing he did was, well, I took my son along, who at the time was nine. And I thought, well, he can meet the stars of Doctor Who. And he met people like Deborah Watling, you know, people who are no longer with us. And I thought that was lovely. Yeah. They And they showed a real interest in him. And he had a nice chat with Debbie Watling and that sort of thing. Um, and Darrow's on stage being Paul Darrow. You know, a bit like how Tom Baker is always being Tom Baker. Darrow's on stage being Darrow. And then he went, I've got a joke to tell. <laughs> and then he saw that my son was in the audience and he looked down and he said, and then he looked at me and he said, there is a swear word in it. <laughs> and and I just nervously went, oh, that's okay. It won't be anything he's not heard before as a joke. And he took <laughs> that as carte blanche. And then he launched into this absolutely disgusting <laughs> story, which I'd kind of erased from my mind because of what happened next. Because the punchline was the word fuck. But I want you to imagine viewers that you are my nine-year-old and i'm paul darrow blah de blah de blah de blah fuck looked straight <laughs> at him then looked at me and gave a little smile I'm like, oh god right okay then i went for a pee later in the day and darrow is stood next to me also having a wee and i'm like oh god i'm having a piss next to avon and i mean don't look at him don't do anything weird just focus on the toilet focus on the toilet and Darrow finished first and zipped up and walked behind me. But then he stopped just behind my right shoulder. And all I heard was him saying, I know what you're thinking. And the answer's yes. <laughs> and then he walked out giggling. <laughs> Absolutely wonderful, wonderful man. So, so I'm going to enjoy listening to his life story. So you saw his time lash? I did. And do you know what? <laughs> I think what he was referring to is the fact that he was he was a he, he was a well hung chap. The rumours are true. They are completely true. He, you know, so uh, I know what you're thinking, and the answer's yes. That, because what I was thinking is, God, Avon's got a massive penis, and so there you go. Anyway. He was in time lash, wasn't he? He he was. So you did see his time lash. I did uh, see his time lash. <laughs> time lash is one of those things that I hold in. Oh, no, we can't go down the Doctor Who hole, can we, so early? Can Briefly. We just, we'll have a Briefly. little... We'll dip our toes in there, yeah. seeing as, uh, you know, uh, D Darrow's member got us in there. Seems um, Darrow's come up, yeah. Yes, right up. Back to the bank holiday condom. Yeah. Um, cheers. Yes, cheers. <laughs> got a tang. <laughs> so, your time lash is yeah. unadulterated rubbish. Awful. Absolutely rubbish. But even more rubbish that I mm. hold affection for is the twin dilemma. Mm. Now, that is absolute horse shit. However, <laughs> what we had, which we were told, which was different, because mm. as we've discussed before, we both have a lot of affection um, for JNT. The much maligned JNT and a lot of the... Uh, is malignation a word? Whatever oh, it, it is. Be. It should be. Um and a lot of uh, those things are fur. Mm. 
Mm. <laughs> that going are. down all right, dear. <laughs> it's, it's actually, it's going down very nicely. Sorry. I think a lot of them are fair, apart from the time when he tried to read my palm. Yes, indeed. Yes, um, but yes. But yes, so because what we had was an entire year, didn't we, of knowing who the new Doctor was going to be, because the mm-hmm. 20th anniversary special, you had the little TARDIS in the corner, uh, right-hand corner, where you saw mm-hmm. the top of Colin Baker's head. And That's then right. inside, he sort of sat there, isn't he, by like some potted palms in a little stripy jacket, and there's a whole page yeah. on Colin Baker, which was And unusual. I think it was also that the, the I think the mirror had got hold of the story, so, and they, they broke it, and of course JNT was fanatical about the press and controlling them. And they yes. got the story and it broke when Davison was only about halfway through recording his last season. You know, it was, they had right. about three stories to record when the story broke. And I think. But it must have broke before, because before the 21st season was broadcast, um, that 20th anniversary special came out in November 83. Good God, it and, did, didn't it? Yeah, there's a feature on. So it must have broke before the end of season 20. So it must have been whilst they were actually just getting into recording season 21, then. Yeah. Yeah, must have been that. Yeah, so we knew was for a long unusual. time. We, yeah, we knew, we for, knew for ages, and knowing the business as we do now, mm. um, I'm unsure if that will have had a positive or negative influence on Baker's prospects of employment, because if people think you are working, they leave you alone, don't they? They do. They <laughs> absolutely know, do. Like, well, so. and, and that was the reason, wasn't it, for why he uh, didn't want to come back after he was sacked, pointlessly. Uh, he didn't want to come back and do just four episodes, because mm-hmm. you know, well, for the year that we'd be off air, I am still Doctor Who and there'd be no work. So Now, yeah, as kids, we thought bollocks, didn't we, to that? We thought we that did. was rubbish, and yet that is so bang on. That is absolutely. so the way it is. Absolutely, it is. Yeah, you can see it now, can't you? Yeah, you really can. Yeah, when well, you but know course, with your own work, it's like if people think you're busy, that's it. Absolutely, that's it. So, yeah, it's a strange one, but you're right. We knew so far yeah. in advance, and then of course we got the four episodes of the Almighty Twin Dilemma, um, and then there was that big long wait. And who is this very, very angry, violent man who's trying to mm. kill his assistant? Which was strange, but not as strange as the twin boys. Were they real twin boys or just they one of them? They were real twin boys, right. and I think therein lies the problem. Because it's probably quite easy to cast a child actor who's relatively naturalistic and another one who's also relatively naturalistic, but it's probably quite difficult to get that with twins. I think that's asking an awful lot. Yes, the Rodney Twatter. The Rodney Twatter. Rodney Twatter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very tired, ladies and gentlemen. He's um, terribly tired. The I um I got a bad back, as he Harold has. Steptoe would say. Um, the Rodney Twat. <laughs> the Rodney Trotter twins, yes. as I recall. Yes. Yeah, the look of Rodney. You see, it's so bad. I mean, the, 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 one of the reasons I have such a nice memory of it is one Friday afternoon, um, one rainy Friday afternoon when I was my mother's curer, yeah. um, I, I thought, oh, God, I've got nothing else to do. I'll watch The Twin Dilemma with the Rodney Twatter twins. And um, I opened up the box of The Twin Dilemma, and in there was a, a lovely little perfectly farmed bud of marijuana. And so oh. it was like, oh, this is nice. So this was okay. kind of like a little gift from fate. It's like, you've got a shitty afternoon on here, mm-hmm. right? Mummy's in hospital. Have, yes. a, have a smoke, dear boy. Okay. And so I, I think watched that's the, fair. I think that's fair. And the Rodney Twatter twins were, you know, um, were there. Yes. But yes, yes, we, uh, we have differing views on the twin dilemma. But then well, we it's do. very well, much what the is your, what, What's your overall view, really, then? What it's absolute say? shit. 
It's yeah. absolute shit. But it's again, it goes back to that whole thing that we speak of often, whereby it's not confined to the television set, is it? The joy no. of whatever you're watching. So it's what no, spills out from not. the edges. It's like I, if I think of Carry On Up the Jungle, for mm. me, Carry On Up the Jungle's there in the corner, and my nan's sat there uh, peeling all the vegetables for a, a Sunday dinner. Do you right. get what I mean? So yeah, with uh, the, the bits around fun. the edges. Exactly, the rain's mm. chucking it down. There's a fire roaring. And yes. you're safe and you're secure. And so all of those elements come together. So yeah. it's very much more than than what you see on the screen, really. It is. No, I, I get that completely. And there yeah. was the excitement of a new Doctor. And I didn't notice that it was all shit at the time. Oh, I was, God, no. I was 10 and I was like, this is the best thing in the world. And it was the, the best umbrellas. Thing what I remember about Baker coming up, all those yes. that photo shoot where he's got the umbrella. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, wasn't it just pissing uh, down? So they gave him an umbrella. Yeah, and he's sitting on a on a bridge yeah. in those photos as well, and, yeah. and it looks absolutely dreary, doesn't it? it looks awful. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was. No, I I remember being with that. I was quite happy, but I equally remember for the first time ever with that show, watching Time Lash and getting bored right so that would be the 245 minutes wouldn't it we were up to yeah uh, season yeah. 22 then mm. so you've gone from a 25 minute episode to a 45 and of course it's structured differently because the 25 minute episodes are all structured so you're building to a cliffhanger you've got this constant upward shift but with the 45 minutes you've only got one and so you've got like the Doctor and Perry aren't in it for the first 20 minutes much and nothing mm. much happens. But in Time Lash, there were whole periods where nothing happened and it was shit. Yes. Now that I objected yes. to. Yes. It's amazing how much of it was shit. I don't think the format suits it and I think that's borne out with the new series, the 45 mm. minutes. I just don't think it works. What is the one with the tractate? Is it the tractators were... Frontios. Am I thinking of the right one? Because isn't Frontios Davison? Yeah. Because it's where Turlow knocks you sick, doesn't it, foaming at the mouth? That's right, yeah. Um, all right, well, what's the one from season 22 mm. whereby the the part of the wall breaks away and you see a mural of Davison? Uh, Pertwee. Pertwee. That's Time Lash. Oh, it is Time Lash, right? That well, is that, Time that Lash, That was a yeah. thrill. <sighs> yeah. I think I think Darrow had been killed by that point, so that for me was right. the last bit of interest. And then and then the bloody Borad came back after you've seen him Borad. reduced to nothing, and suddenly he stood yeah. there with his flipper. I just went, oh no, I'm not I'm no. not as excited now. But also bear in mind the news of the cancellation as was had broken about yeah. a week before, so there yeah. was that shock of why are you taking the best program in the world off television? Oh, time lag because it's poo. Because it's got time lash and it's not very good. No, yes. no. Yeah. So season 22, not a really very nice thing. But mm. the ephemera again, the stuff around it, nice. The whole build-up was nice. Very nice. I think that the trouble was, I think that the twin dilemma really suffered because it follows hot on the heels of Caves of Androzani, where Which Graham is... Harper just does it. Graham Harper job. and Robert Holmes. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Magnificent. Absolutely yes. magnificent. Everything about it. Even that friggin rubber dragon you know it, 
even that is shot in a way where you go, it's almost convincing, not quite, you know, but you could see that Harper at least didn't just stick a big old EMI 2001 on it and go, just walk towards me. You know, he plays with handheld. And I think you can tell that he's a director who didn't like to sit in the gallery. He was a director who wanted to be on the studio floor and directing the actors, which, of course, he got because he worked with Douglas Camfield um, as his uh, PA, his floor manager. That's the thing. Um, And I think that really shows he that, made right? it through to the new series, didn't he, Harper? He absolutely did. He did. Uh, he did a few. He did the final. He did the first time they brought the Cybermen back, which was actually very good. And then he did the finale of season two. No, and he did. But Why he did, did he have to give them a new origin story? Which the Cybermen oh, were from Mondas. Well, these ones were from. Trigger no. from Only Fools and Horses. Yeah, well, Trigger should stick to his broom. He should <laughs> stop making Cybermen. Well, he should. I don't know why. There'll be some kind of bloody reason. You know what they're like for these things. But, there um, always is. Yeah, it was good, though. It yeah. was good. And Roger Lloyd Pack was brilliant. Well, absolutely superb. And then he directed the biggie where it had Sarah Jane Smith and it had all of them and they... Put on the, and the TARDIS got pulled through, uh, pulled the Earth through space at the end of it, and I loved that. Yeah, I don't care. That was, and everyone's going, "Well, that's a bit over the top." Well, of course it's over the top, you tosspot. It's <laughs> what's it? It's always going to be over the top. Otherwise, it's just basically EastEnders and that shit, as we know. Oh yes, what was it? One point seven million viewers, an all-time low this week. One point seven million viewers. That's. Worrying, given the amount that they've spent on the new HD set, which mm. has skyrocketed. It's it's now three times the cost it was meant to be. Like, Who's oh, in dear. it these days? You said you watched it recently. Uh, I, I was looking for Dr. Leg and I couldn't spot him, dear. I, mean, I bet that guy's still alive, though. Do you know what? I think he is. I, and think, I think he's still Leonard, going. Leonard something his name was. Yeah, but he then, was in Shine on Harvey Moon, wasn't he? Yeah, but then they killed the character off. And I'm like, well, why have you done that? Why don't you just have Dr. Leg sat in the Vic occasionally? He might have retired. But he could just pop back. We don't retire in the industry, you know that. Well, the last time I watched EastEnders, I think it would have been when Ricky and Bianca fucked off in a camper van. So what's that, about 1986 or something like that? I don't know. I mean, is it? I, I don't know. I've never had an affinity with it, you see, because I I always, to me, soap operas were the things on ITV that I wasn't allowed to watch. Mm. But when I did, on those rare occasions, because my nan used to watch Emmerdale Farm, as was. Oh, God, yeah, they all love that. And so I would, I, I get to see that, and it's like, oh, this is relaxing, nothing happens. Yes. And then the, the one time that we were allowed to... I, I, probably said it before the one time we were allowed to put itv on and go it's an event was when the crossroads motel burnt down 4th of november yeah 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 yeah. and i was six and i think that's why that's got such an impression because it was like i remember my mum's disapproval when the atv logo came on she watched it but you could see she wasn't happy it's a bit you know coarse Mm. um so to me soap operas were always that and then on comes eastenders and for some reason, on the Christmas Day, with the divorce papers, Happy Christmas, Ange, you yeah, know, yeah. that one with Leslie Grantham, yeah. um, I, we watched that, and I thought, but this is horrible. It's Christmas Day, and there's just people shouting at each other. I don't like this. Yes. And I've just never liked, you know, let's, let's have aggression three times a week. 
I don't like that. No, it was. It is. It probably still is quite an aggressive show, isn't it? It was like mind yeah. without the humour, really. Absolutely. Um, I liked it when Arthur went mad because he'd spent all the hamper the money. Christmas club money. And he yeah, swept yeah. everything off the mantelpiece. <laughs> Yes. And, uh, and he just slings it everywhere. Is he still with us, Bill Bill Treacher? Bill Treacher, I think, still is. Yeah, he's us. properly old as well, isn't he? Well, he was yeah. a lot I mean, he older got than you thought early. then. Yeah, absolutely. He's but he's still he's still with us as far as I know. I hope he is. He's you know, he's a cracking actor. He's in the brothers uh for a few episodes right. uh, in the mid seventies. And he's very good and, and completely different from Arthur Fowler. I think what you get there is one of those actors who's trained post war and mm. they've learned naturalism for the first yeah. time and so they're able to really not just sort of you know paint the character on but they actually think about the character so i think arthur fowler was actually a very well developed little characterization mm. so because when his you see dad an actor do you know what i don't know about i'm that. sure his dad was like arthur treacher or something madly enough and he was like a somebody a used to bell. Turn up in old movies. Sorry, you were saying about uh, another glug. Uh, you were saying about um, the characterization, the naturalism. Yeah, no, I think I think it is just that because he's in the brothers. Um, when you watch him in that, totally different. He's one of those actors, a bit like Patrick Troughton, who could alter their height. You know, they always looked that they were different heights. So mm. Troughton, if you see him in the clip they've got of Robin Hood. You'd, from about 1954, I think that is, you'd swear he's a good six-footer. Troughton, when he's playing Doctor Who, you know, five seven, five eight. You, you know, yeah. he, he just with his posture. And I think that sort of character actor, well, that's what you get with Mr. Treacher. You've got someone who created a characterization, and then you watch him in The Brothers, and you go, that's him, but it's totally different. Wonderful. I think he plays a father in that who's been knocked down by one of the Hammond's lorries. Um, and he's walking out of the hospital with his wife, and it, it's lovely, it's shot on film. Lovely, scratched old 1975 film. Um, totally different characterization, And I think that you've got that lovely breed of actor, post-war, who are going into that whole sort of thing. And, and, and you're coming up to uh, Joan Littlewood and, and those sort of actors mm. who are amazing to watch. Yeah. And we seem to have kind of lost that a little bit. Well, one, one, one of them who isn't given the credit they deserve, they deserve is Peter Bowles. Really, we're back, we're back to uh, the Bowles again. Really, now Peter Absolutely. Bowles was at Rada with Albert Finney, mm. you know, and he he lived in the same flat as Finney for a while. And Peter Bowles' autobiography is really good, um, mm. and in it he talks about um, how he's like, you know, he was a bit sort of reverential with Finney. Yeah. And he's kind of like, oh, you know, how'd you do that? How'd you do that? How'd you do? <clears throat> and after sort of being fawning over Finney, Finney sort of who would broker no such nonsense, just snapped him out of it by saying, "I learn the fucking lines and I walk on." <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. That's all Bowles got out of him. But I mean, I think that, you know, especially because because again, it's the comedy work, isn't it? Yeah, it's it the comedy work that undermines it, but he's brilliant in that. Do you remember that? Um, was it Lytton's Diary he did? Yes, it was. Yeah, he was great in that. That was a he's great brilliant. little series. And he's um, he's in the the original Armchair Theatre, um, Callum, uh, and a mm. Magnum for Schneider. He's in that, and he's a bastard. Mm. He's horrific. He's in, in the that, Prisoner, yeah. isn't he? He is in the Prisoner. Yeah. Mm. Um, you've got a, a lot of... Re you're, you're right, though. We do tend to remember those comedy 
roles yeah, rather than yeah. the fact that these were also bloody good actors, straight actors. Yeah, you know, they brilliant. were incredibly good. And I think, you know what I think? I think that it's it's British culture, isn't it? That we we like to categorise and we like to go, oh, you do that and you do that. Yeah. And that's where we get the whole sort of thing of, you know, um, I'm quite tired too. What's the word? Typecast. That's yes. it, typecast. You get typecasting. Because we go, well, you're that sort of actor. Yeah. Whereas in the States, they have a different attitude, I hate to say, which seems to be, oh, you're that sort of actor. Can you do that as well? Um, and you'll find that there's a lot more flexibility, I think, and, and a desire to see actors exploring as well. I, I think yeah. you get that. Whereas, which is why you end up with someone like Harry H. Corbett, you know, yeah. wonderful actor. The English I mean, Marlon Brando. Absolutely. You know, stunningly good actor. But I know he stepped out. And that was it. And yeah. I, I don't know, maybe if it maybe if he'd have broken through in America, would they have allowed him to show that lovely range that he would have had working with Joan Littlewood? Maybe we would have seen But I mean we saw it, of course, when he was in Steptoe and some. We saw what a oh, good amazing piece of characterization well, to the there's... point where you think that is real. There's not even... I don't think there's... I could be wrong. I'd have to put it on and watch it. But I'm sure it's something like eight minutes in before there's a laugh in the in the pilot for the for Steptoe for the offer. You know? Yeah, I watched, I watched it the other day um, because I remember you got hold of a lovely vidfire mm, copy. Yeah, they need to release that, don't they? They really do. So um, for those of you who don't know, vidfire is a little process um, where you can take a scratched old 16mm film recording of a TV show and the computer actually creates pictures to go between each frame and it gives it the fluid feeling of videotape, which is what it was originally recorded on. So it looks brand new. And yeah. this episode of Steptoe and Son looks basically brand new. Needs a bit of cleaning oh, it up, looks but great. it's such a good piece of work that's been oh, done. You go oh, there you are. And, hello. And, and yeah, you right. just went for a minute. Oh, so, oh, you, oh, you just you're went back. terribly fast on my screen. I'm back, hello. So you end up with this performance from him and Bramble. Mm. And it's not that they're playing it for laughs. The, the, the laughs are in the characterization. The laughs aren't in the script even for Galton and Simpson. No. What they've done is they've written a piece of theatre of the absurd where they mm. are constantly mm. in this circle. They can't escape the circle. They're in their own personal hells. There's the external influence, which is each other getting at each other and they can't escape it. Yeah. And the conclusion of that episode where oh. he breaks down trying to pull the car is well, just that's, some of... <sighs> that's when um, Ray Galton spotted <clears throat> a tear trickling down Harry H. Corbett's cheek as he's trying to push that cart because <clears throat> his dad owns the ca uh, the horse and he has the cat. They're splitting the business. Yeah. So it's like, dad gets the horse. You're not having the horse. So it's mm. like, oh, I'll get the cart. And he's trying mm. to push this cart. Oh, God, go. Oh, I've got to go, I've got to go, it's and all great. that stuff. Yeah. And he was just like, he was like, oh, right, we're working with we're working with actors here. Yeah. Because they'd worked with Hancock and Sid James and mm. other people who were, you know, I wouldn't say they were comedians. Hancock certainly was a comedian, but but here Co they were... Comedy work. players more. Yeah. So. Here he was like, Christ almighty. So, so it dawned on them during the pilot. I love the story they told about when they were writing it. Originally it was mother and daughter and it weren't working. I didn't know that. Yeah, they didn't have the the, the scrapyard thing. They just had this mother and daughter thing. Mm. And then it all clicked into place. But again, it's like when they come up with a name 
like such a such a just the name Steptoe, right? Mm. It's, it's so bang on. I mean, there's so yeah. many ep- uh, uh, examples of that, isn't the rum pole? Mm. Bang on again. Um, and one of the ones <coughs> they seem to once once the once the writer gets the name, they can really get the teeth into it because we are in many ways defined. Well, not in many ways, but we are defined by our names, right? Absolutely, it, it, it are, does yeah. end up shaping us, and certainly in a dramatic uh, format, it's a great reference from the audience. And um, I think Nigel Neal was going through a telephone directory that's when right, he found yeah. a florist called Quatermass, mm. and again, that's just you know that name Quatermass. It's just like it's a meme, isn't it? Well, it is him. It yeah. is the character, whether he's being played by John Mills or whether he's being played by Andre Morel, he is Quatermass. It's the strangest thing, isn't it? Yeah. That that's interesting because those four characterizations, five including Brian oh. uh, Brian Don Levy, who does him yeah. in the films, yeah. and Andrew Keir. So you've got six people playing Quatermass. Andrew Keir. They are all yeah, but they're all Quatermass. Yeah. You know, it's that name. You just know who that is. Anyone could play that role, and you go, that is Quatermass. Yeah, the name in itself is a meme like Steptoe, like Rumpel. When you get these names, bang on, it just, mm. it's a shortcut to the character, isn't it? Absolutely, it is. Absolutely. I'll tell you what I was reading about the other day. I had no idea. Mm. Halloween 3, right? Yes. Oh, do you know that Nigel Neal did the original treatment for that? I I know that he did, and I know something happened, and he wasn't happy, but I don't know the details. Right. So what he wanted to do um, was um, he wanted it. He was hired because of Quatermass, right? That's what John Carpenter. He was like, "Wow, this this guy's fucking great. Let's have some of that." Uh, and so he wanted it more folk horror. So Halloween three is nothing because the first two are like slasher movies, aren't they? Mm. Um, it's yeah. not. Is it Jason? I'm I'm not well up on all Jason this. Voorhees. I don't know. I don't, I wasn't allowed to watch horror films. I've never seen them. It's Jason I Friday the Thirteenth. I don't. All right. Well, yes, he is. He is. Yeah. Right. Well, whoever Jason is in Halloween, it's the the slasher films, aren't they? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But the the third one is about Halloween masks. That when the kids put on, they act as a sort of the next thing. There are snakes coming out of their mouths and all this other stuff. It's a very quite sp- not spooky, but it's a quite macabre film. Right. And so it makes sense that Nigel Neal, so, so he was getting all this folk horror stuff into it and stuff. Um, but yeah, bizarre, bizarre. What a bizarre little but connection that I had. Wasn't no there idea some? About. Wasn't there something as well where he he didn't end up doing the final draft and there was a falling out? I think. Oh, there was a falling out, but I'm not entirely certain about mm. what it was. By the way, speaking of spooky things, yeah, I was speaking to our mutual friend, Mr. Simon Roberts, today. Oh, yeah. Um, you might know this word. I didn't know this word. So, you know, when we talk about, for example, you know, um, when I talk about carrying up the jungle with all the stuff going on in the room, or you talk mm. about watching the portable uh, TV when you're on holiday, yeah. and yeah, yeah. So all that stuff that we talk on, I talk about, which is kind of like maybe not the correct memory, right? Yeah, is hauntology. Did you know that word? No, I did not. It's lovely, isn't it? That's beautiful. Mm. That's a beautiful word. And that's a descriptor for all those um, sort of half memories and half experience. Do you know what? If we'd have known that, that could have been a better name for the podcast. I know, yeah, but... um, (laughs) Yeah, so, well, thanks. Thank you, Simon, for that, because... 
That's I a thought that was beautiful. Word. But Simon college. is a very eloquent man. He's yeah. a very, very eloquent man. Um, so hauntology is effectively what, what we do, you know. Yeah. Um, as well as our joy that we find in the joins. Absolutely. You know, um, Richard O'Sullivan's... It is the bits in between. Richard O'Sullivan's her being an inch shorter when he walks outside of the flat. Wonderful. But we like the joins. We like the 16 mil and the, oh God, and the yeah. studio stuff. Um, Absolutely. I love the fact, um, which I, I don't think we've mentioned, we may have mentioned before, I love the fact that in the 70s you had BBC colour and ITV colour mm. and they were both different because ITV wanted to be sunnier so they just notched the colour up a bit on everything. Which yeah. I, I love that fact. And you can see it once you know it. It's Some lovely. of their colour is odd though, that early uh, ITV colour. For example, mm. Two in Clover. Yeah, you know the Victor Spinetti and Sid James thing, where they have a farm. Yeah, yeah. Some we, of the it's nineteen sixty-nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we are just going into it. Yeah, yeah. But it's like the, those early uh, on the buses. A lot of that early LWT color is very like almost peachy. It, mm, it's it so is. strange, isn't it? Well, it's, that's the moment when you realise that the, you know colour was this wild experiment to them because you know the colours that you put on the on the. Uh, set in front of the audience aren't quite going to be what's captured. So there is that that lovely experimentation. And then you've got the fact technology, you know, has to develop a bit there. Um, mm. There's where, uh, With one of my lovely favourites, Dark Shadows, the American gothic soap opera. That yeah, that's live. similar with colour, isn't it? The colour It is. But what's interesting is you can really see it because it's a daytime soap, so they're doing five a week mm. as live, which is why everything goes wrong all the time beautifully. But when they go to colour and you get, good news, folks, today's show, Dark Shadows, is now in colour. So you get that at the beginning, except that that one doesn't exist in colour. It's only in black and white. But the one before that was just a test recording and was shown in black and white, they've still got in colour. Right. And it's so smeary and it's all really dark greens because they haven't altered the set. So it's dark, filthy greens and right. then purple lights and things like that. And then... As the show goes on, it takes them a good six months, and you can see that they're tweaking the set, and they're tweaking the lights, and they're playing with the cameras, and just to try and make it look more natural. By the time it gets to the end of its run, in 71, it looks beautiful, but it, it's this lovely, gradual change, mm. which is occasionally done with a faulty camera, which I love it for, because right. they only had four cameras, and one of them was a bit dodgy. Yeah. And there's some episodes where it, it breaks live during the recording but when we're recording they only got the tape machine for half yeah. an hour a day and it had to go down a phone line uh, to the tape machine so it was half an hour a day you had to keep going and when this camera breaks the shot goes green you can see everything but it's it's just right. green and so you're getting these conversations between people and every other shot's green because they're like well we can't stop recording and yeah. then the next day, it's still green. They're not using the camera as much, but it's still green because, well, no, we can't take it out. They can they can fix it over the weekend. So you get a whole week of the green camera and things like that. That's a lovely thing. I love yeah. that week of it. It's beautiful. Yeah. Well, you see, we don't we don't we don't care for well, we care for perfection in some ways, but we don't mind if it because perfection though would greatly affect the enjoyment of it, and it would stop the actors in their tracks wouldn't it it would stop everything and it is that it, it it's the word love i mm. come back to there's there's a love 
of what they're doing, you can tell. I mean, if if you are, I Christ, imagine if you were on that show. Each episode is twenty two minutes, but only five actors in each episode. So that's a lot of script that you got yeah. the day before. And you might be in five episodes that week and you've just got to learn it. You've yeah. got auto cue, but you don't really want to look at the camera and just read it. So yeah. they try to avoid that. But that that lovely pressure, there's got to have been love between them as a cast. And yes. they talk about that. The fact that behind the scenes, they were this lovely bunch of people who loved each other. And they loved the cast. They loved the crew. <laughs> they were they forged got... in adversity, weren't they? Absolutely. And I think that we're quite set. I'm going to go back to it. Television now, we're very safe. Yes. So you don't have to worry. If it go, if a camera breaks, we'll get the other camera out. We don't have to wait because we can't, we've only got five. Yeah, we we'll get the, the that safety blanket mm. is there now, and I think that for me, you can tell that there isn't the the love and the adrenaline that these yeah. early shows have. That's the, it's theatre on telly, but they've only had four days to rehearse it. You know, it's mental. Yeah. The mother that. of invention is still there, isn't it? You know, absolutely, and the market forces. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting, isn't it? As we often say, that television is is an art form with an identity crisis. Mm. But when you speak about sort of ghost ghosty things or whatever it may be in the seventies, I mean, our greatest examples of them in the seventies that were made for TV were mm. made on film. They were made by Lawrence Gordon Clark in the fashion of film, but they were yes. sympathetic to the aspect ratio and they were sympathetic to the art form and the performances weren't they absolutely I, I, you're absolutely right there they were they were they were but the things made on video even you know the skill and the artistry behind producing you know like an episode of the brothers it's 50 minutes long you'd have had two hours to get that recorded you know just keep going get it done because at yeah. 10 o'clock we're going to turn the lights out and yeah. i think that's there now talking of which um i and this annoyed me today um, I'm just You've going got to quite find... a spooky thing in the background there, as as, as I've just noticed. I ha oh yeah, that's um, yes, one of one of my lovely students um, from when uh, they did Hamlet uh, right. a while ago, and uh, that was painted for me as a as a present. Nice, isn't it lovely? That's yeah. a lovely thing. Um, th this is less so, Michael, because <laughs> um, when we're talking about these lovely shows and how creative and amazing they are and all that sort of stuff. We've got to remember that not everything is like that. So there is, if I can find it, um, I might not be able to, and you know what, I can get quite cross about it even if I don't find it. It's a new show that's being commissioned, and I genuinely thought that this was uh, a satire. I thought, no, come on. Um, but it turns out it's true, um, and it's going to be uh, celebrities... Here it is. Uh -oh. I've found it. Immediately. <clears throat> the on. title of the show that has been commissioned by the BBC, this is a prime time show, is Wim Hof's Superstar Survival. Now, I like Wim Hof, I'm afraid. I like the Iceman. Do you? I do. <laughs> I fear he, he and I are not going to be good companions. Well, for the listeners at home, Paul just gave me a withering look of opprobrium. That Absolutely was quite something. Not. The viewers will have enjoyed that one. Yes, this is presented by Holly Willoughby and Lee Mack. Now, I like mm. Holly for obvious reasons. Right. I think I'm... you have to appreciate, Michael, what I'm about to tell you, though. Lee Here Mack can fuck off, though. Go on. Okay, fair That's... enough. <laughs> so, so, go on. <clears throat> Thank you for the clock for being absolutely spooky, though. 
whim. Oh, sorry, was it vim? They should have called it on a whim. They should have done. How do I pronounce it? Whim or vim? What do I you want? I think it's vim half. Okay, it sounds like a cleaning. Vimto. Yeah, vimto, anagram yeah. of vomit. So vim is taking a group of celebrities abroad to a very cold location and giving them huge challenges. <clears throat> it will be frosty and funny. <laughs> no, it won't. It really won't. It won't be frosty or funny. It'll be bollocks. And I just looked at that and I thought, that's a prime time show, is it? You've had you've had two years where you haven't been able to make drama or you've had to do it using mirrors so that you don't give each other bird flu or whatever it's I've got crossed now. So yes. you've got that going on. Yes. Why aren't you getting out there? Why aren't you doing something amazing? Why aren't you doing a, a, an adaptation of Daphne du Maurier? Why aren't you doing something I, like that? Why are you doing Vim Hof takes celebrities to a cold place and then says do press ups? I'm not bothered. <laughs> I don't well, want to see that, that with Holly Willoughby. That is, I'd like to see Holly do press ups if, yes, if commissioners are listening. Um. <laughs> um I was off then. Sorry. Um, yeah, I was. I was. Uh, Sorry. Yes, I was thinking <laughs> about boring you. Li- well, no, no, no live I... TV days with Holly. I was thinking. Anyway, uh, sorry. No, it's it's my filthy mind. It's yeah. bizarre. That is a bizarre mashup of because what they're Everything. doing now, the under, the you know, the sort of the what I would refer to as meme culture, really. The uh, mm. things like Joe Rogan's podcast and stuff like that. Um, Vim Hoff is a kind of guy who goes on that. And yet, did you say this was BBC One? This is this is BBC One prime time. So well, this no, has it's... gone yeah. from the counterculture, yeah. right? Even though it gets eighty million views a week. So the counterculture and BBC One, the gap is now like millimeters, isn't it? Between well, could they stop it, please? Because I don't approve. Well, and I don't. You... I don't think Lord Reith would approve either. He bloody well wouldn't. But your BBC, furious. Of, your BBC of the coronation, right? Yes. That BBC, the lovely BBC the that proper you BBC. love, yes. proper BBC. It's gone, mate. It hasn't gone. I'm it not has gone. It. All right, you should tell me one aspect of its output, and I won't. You're not telling me the archers. I'm, I've got a. I've got an archers card here that I can lift if oh. you mention the archers, right? So you're not saying the archers. You tell me one thing that the BBC do that is in any way philosophically and spiritually what we love about the BBC. One thing. Um. BBC video release nice things. <laughs> there's nothing. Look, there's a quote that I love, which is by uh, there's a Kierkegaard quote, which is, "The most successful revolutions leave the buildings intact," and that is what you've got with the BBC. It has been eaten from the inside out, and they all you have got are the buildings. Down. They no, they, they did that. Down, Mike, yes, baby. they knocked it down. They, they knocked, knocked it down. down Studio 7, which was tiny and silly. And but they left Studio Eric 7. Blur's dodgy statue up at Broadcasting House, you know. So, so, um, did I say Eric Blur instead of Eric Dill? Oh, yeah. my God, I need sleep. So, yeah. anyway, um, Eric Blur did some great stuff at Broadcasting House, didn't he? Otherwise known yeah. as George Orwell. I'm ju- I, look, I am just going to look, just in case I've bought anything recently. That's, here, I, Paul, got... here, I'm going to make you feel very happy because we yeah. know the BBC is dead. Look, look. There you go. Now look at that. Now that is Kenneth Horn's autobiography, Solo for Horn. 
the biography of Kenneth Horn by so it's not an autobiography. We've had this chat already mm. by uh, <laughs> by Norman Hackforth. Hackforth. Hackworth. Hackforth. Hackforth. I got this, and again, this is more hauntology. I got mm. this in the Haydock Library sale as a small boy for about fifteen p. Do you remember when they used wow. to do withdrawn books? Yes. And I didn't know who Kenneth Horn was at that time. I just I, I remember looking through the book. And I'm guessing that there'll be plates in the middle that feature... Mm. Yeah, so this is immediately why it was coming on with me for 15 oh. pence, right? So I didn't know who Kenneth Horn was. Well, Long for the benefit of the time. listeners on, on on wireless only, what, who's in the picture that you just held up in the middle of oh, the book? Who have we gosh, got? Oh, gosh, right. So you've got, Hugh, I think, Hugh Paddock, Graham Stark... Hugh. Yeah. Uh, oh, is it Ron Moody? I can't see from here. Kenneth Williams, and I would say it's Graham Stark, and and Kenneth Horn. Uh, good old Kenneth Horn. Um, Wonderful. And in the on the other side, you've got the uh, the Bill Pertwee, Hugh Paddock again. Um, so I'm gonna uh, just look here. Uh, it was Ron Moody, looking very like uh, Graham Stark. Yeah, um, yeah. One thing that was interesting about this book. Coming from where we came from, Haydock, St. Anne's, was finding out this uh, Harry Pilkington, uh, mm. that Kenneth Horn was one of the Pilkington's glass family. Mm. Um, so he was a member of the Pilkington's board. And this is, again, like Hal Reed, we were talking about the other week, who ran a sausage factory in Wigan or something. And so they were sort of titans of industry, not, not, not the running a sausage factory makes you a particularly titan mind you he probably was a titan um <laughs> but but these people who have these lives and look at this i was so desperate for it to be mine i i tipexed out the the with, <laughs> the withdrawn tipex tipex oh, and yes. boys do tipex do boys still like tipex um <laughs> so solo for horn advertises some great books on the back mm. um including and the next object which is norman hackforth he of the kenneth horn book uh, yeah. his autobiography um and um uh, norman hackforth the autobiography of the man whose voice has helped to make the radio program 20 questions so well loved well who wouldn't want, I'd, I'd read that i would read that yeah but that is an example of the BBC you've lost, the BBC that you loved. You know, you know the story about how Peter Sellers got his start at the BBC, don't you? No, go on. So he rang up. Tell me a um, nice thing. It's a very nice thing. He okay. rang up the producer. Um, sorry, the BBC Light Entertainment controller. He got through. I think it was. It wasn't Bill Sellers, was it? Am I imagining that? Bill Sellers was a producer. He produced the Brothers. Right. Enough. But no, we're this was we're a bit late. Yeah, it's long before. It was a guy like that. Anyway, yeah. he was one of these crusty old boys, and he's so he rings up BBC reception. He's like, "Hello, it's Kenneth Horney. I've uh, lost my. Uh, I've lost the phone number. Can you? Uh, why? Do, why am I doing Terry Wogan? I must be very. <laughs> so he rings up, pretends to be Terry. Uh, so anyway, I'm not going to do Kenneth because I'm too tired, too shit. Anyway, he manages to get through to this guy who's the producer, and he's like, "Ah, oh, hello, Bill. Uh, Kenneth here, and uh, see you at the weekend, and uh, blah blah. And how are the kids, and this that. And he's like chatting away to Kenneth." Horn. And then all of a sudden, Sellers has to go. Look, it's not Kenneth Horn here; it's Peter Sellers. And uh, I've been trying to get an audition with you for. And Peter Sellers, who tells the story, it's the it's on the Parkinson. He does, you know, he's the stormtrooper at the start. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he says he's he's like, "Were oh, you cheeky?" But he's like, "Well, look, I convinced you, didn't I?" He's like, "Oh, you, all right, you're a voiceman, are you? All right, come down on Monday. We'll give you a shot at two o'clock." And that was it. That's, that's how he got his start, Peter Sellers that's at the wonderful. BBC. Do you know what I, I love when it comes to Kenneth Horn is I, I discovered Round the Horn 
at the same time, bizarrely, as I discovered Derek and Clive. So I had, so I was a, a, about 13 when I discovered both of them. I think Radio 2 were repeating some round the horns and I thought, well, they're old, I'll listen to them. And I'd just been given a C90 tape, which had Come Again, Derek and Clive, and Half of Ad Nauseam on. So I had these two conflicting comedies in my head, but they didn't conflict for long, which is interesting, because there's a Julian and Sandy sketch where I can't remember much of it, and I must try and find it, but they're basically talking about double entendres and how you can't say anything these days and all this sort of stuff, and... and it's, but it's everything they're saying is a filthy double entendre, and they keep apologising to the gentleman. <laughs> saying, oh, it's so rude, so sorry. But then they keep going, and it's just dirty words, really. And then they go, really sorry about that. Sorry, uh, sorry, Mr. What's your name? And he stops because it's Horn and says, Mooseblatter, Elias P. Mooseblatter. And straight away, I've got the connection between Horn in Derek and Clive and Horn. Because I'd just been thinking, that's a funny name. He didn't know. And so, right. oh, they knew. And they're being filthy oh, yes. on BBC, on, on on the BBC Home Service. And I loved it from that moment. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, it's filth. It's Yeah, it's like um, Hugh Jampton, isn't it, in The Goons? When the when the BBC top brass didn't get onto Hugh Jampton at front. And you when you listen to those goons where it's like, Hugh Jampton, or whatever. Yeah. And you'll hear... One or two scattered. <laughs> Somebody in the in the theatre gets it, and yes. they're they're lovely just for them, aren't they? Where the guy they gets are. the where the guy gets the joke. I want to I want to believe, and I hope this is true, that um in oh I don't know that my my blackout of the third is so shit. I can I can I can see sense sense and senility or something in my head. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whichever the one with Keen Rick and Mossop, the actors in. Right. Oh, right. Hugh so Paddock. Hugh Paddock and Kenneth Connor. I want to believe that had Kenneth Williams not died, that they would have had Paddock and Williams in as those characters. Surely they would. Do you know what? I'm sorry to disappoint you, but Blackadder the Third was '87, isn't that the year before Kenneth Williams died? I thought he died in '86. This is again. This is more. We, right, I'm we, googling this. We have to Google this. This. this is this critical. One's important. This is very um, important. I, so I suspect a... you're right on '88, aren't you? Because uh, Frankie was about what '90, was it '89, '90? Yeah, '88. Um, so, um, so they. Let's just make right. absolutely sure because you're belt and braces for the listeners and viewers. Um, Blackadder the third, eighty-seven. So yeah. do you know what? They missed the chance. Oh God! They bloody missed it. I know that we had a Wogan reunion of both of them. Yes, and yes. that's beautiful. But my yeah. God, you're right. Imagine if that had been. Oh my God! Williams I mean, and, and Kenneth Connor's lovely in it. Oh God, yeah. Kenneth Connor's lo- even more so. <laughs> he's lovely in anything, but my God, I love Kenneth Connor. Kenneth Connor is such an understated, forgotten man. Uh, for some strange reason, he plays those quirky, twitchy little blokes. Whether it's the boxer in Carry On Sergeant, or mm. you know, right the way through to the to the end of them. By the end of him, he's sort of transformed a little bit. He's is he called Major Leap in Carry On Behind? Um, and I can't think, think of the so. name he's got in Carry On England. Cause England's just ga- he's actually isn't he a butler or a chauffeur in Emmanuel? He's right to the end, isn't he? He is right to the end. Yes, he is. He's in Emmanuel. Yeah, he's um, in it. 
And, and also, but I, he was one of those people, wasn't he? He could lift something when it was failing. So I think, yeah. doesn't he come into a lower low after about three yes. series? Oh, he's superb. Going, oh, okay, a lower low. And then suddenly in he comes Monsieur Leclerc. Yeah. Wonderful performance with his dicky ticker. I mean, oh, when his dicky ticker kicked man. off and he pout his lips and just I fall out of shot. I think he ended shot. up in IDI. Wasn't he Sammy in IDI at the end? He he was probably because di- oh, someone dropped out or something. No, Leslie died. Duda died, didn't he? Out of Carnival of Monsters. Uh, Leslie Dwyer. Yeah, he That's died. Right. He did. Yeah. He God, died, I remember that episode. He? That really upset me when they yeah. when he died in the show. But, but yeah, Connor does Caleb a lovely Connor. turn in the Golden Pince-Nay, the the memoir of Sherlock Holmes. Is it that one? I think it's the Golden Pince-Nay, hmm. or. Uh, Oh god, we're on the Alzheimer's Express here tonight, aren't we? <laughs> with my fucking memory, um, I think so. Because a few of the memoir of Sherlock Holmes, they they put a couple of books together. As you'll find out when you get through your book, they take like the three Garadebs and a couple of the others, and they just because they're very short in the memoir. But Kenneth Connor, mm-hmm. Kenneth Connor, I always thought he was married to Dillis Lay, but he wasn't, was he? No, I don't think so. No, he wasn't. He wasn't. Who was who was the wonderful? <laughs> who was she who who did loads with Kenneth Connor and she plays uh, Harriet in Carry On Camping? She's in Horn, isn't she? Um, no, well, Horn basically didn't only have Betty Marsden as the Betty lady. Marsden. That's who I'm it, on. About. It is Betty Marsden. Yeah, with, and that vo- she's got a laugh. <laughs> it's that laugh. <laughs> That's Terry Scott in that. Terry oh. Scott in that, and uh, a popsy came over to the, and, and we smoked a pound of opium. <laughs> <laughs> Ended up in bed with the popsy. That's uh, it. Anything with Terry Scott is a winner. Terry Scott has he, he done any nice shit? Thing. You enjoyed that Photoshop I sent you, didn't you? The I Frank, loved that. Frank Herbert, Terry, and Dune. That's wonderful. Should we pop that on the Twitter feed? Yeah, we should. We should. Nice we should try and show. find yeah. out who did that as well. Give them the we credit. We should because it's a very nice thing. But yeah, Terry Scott, I can't think of anything I watched him in and I thought you're a bit shit here. Uh, apparently towards the end of Terry and June, the drink was a little is bit of an Is that what it is? Where he just walks yeah. in rooms and goes, ooh, and walks out? Because mm-hmm. he is uh, ruddy of cheek by then. He is, yeah. I think June Whitfield talks about the fact that, you know, by that point, and he used to be quite open with the gentlemen of the press after a few drinks, so they loved him for that. Right. Um, so you, you do have that, yeah, but he was oh, his wonderful, wonderful performer. I, I, was oh. quite, I was upset when he died. Yes. When Terry Scott died, terribly upset about that. I remember. Did, he tra- didn't he almost drive his car off a pier? There's a very famous picture of him. Um, or it's it's a ramp that usually went onto a ferry, and he drove his car up it, and his car's perched at the top. And in this photo, which I think is from the Daily Mirror, he stood there looking quite cross <laughs> with his car balancing behind him. And the implication is he may have had a little bit to drink before I'd getting say, behind the wheel. Yes, 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 I, yes I will join you. Yes, yes, yes I, I would say he'd had. His his fill of uh, of gin balloons. He's I great so. as Doctor Prod in Carry On Matron, isn't he? I love that name as well. Yeah. Prod. <laughs> There's one of those names again. Yes. Lovely names for a character. Oh, that can, one's yeah, perfect. Carry On the Matron is just so ludicrous, isn't it? With fucking uh, Kenneth Cope as as the transvestite nurse. Mm, you know. That's wonderful. I love the line in it where Bernard Breslau's got the the he's done up like a pregnant woman and he's mm. like that cool 
Just shows you the power of suggestion, Sid. I could have swore I felt it kicking then. To which Sid's like, you'll feel something kicking in a moment. <laughs> Brilliant lines. And great Wonderful. music. The, the music yes. in the carry-ons is, is always great. But there's a lovely bass line for the robbers. Dun, 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 dun. If you know oh, that one. Lovely. I always think of Barbara Windsor in the nurse's outfit with that. Oh, yes. That's a lovely track, isn't that it? That and Angela lovely. Douglas in those lined stockings on the roof. Yes. Yeah. I do remember. Yes, we think of that too, don't we? We, we, do. we do. Yeah, because yeah. you did get the odd knock in a carry-on mm. film, didn't you? Such as where Jim Dale ends up in the bath with the, you did. the nurse girl. I you did. There's an awful lot of them. In, yeah, there's a lot of them in um, the first series of The Goodies, which I was quite shocked by. Norks? Yeah, there's, oh. there's norks and bums and all sorts of... Uh, an episode uh, which is basically... Uh, Molly Sugden's in it as a feminist campaigner saying that there's this something... It's called the Pussycat Club, and it's for ladies, and she thinks it's immoral. So Timbrook Taylor drags up to get in there, and he's just surrounded by naked women. And it, and it is just arson tit show at that point. This went out at 8 o'clock. But well, it's John just... Cleese pops up as a genie, doesn't he, in an episode, and says, Kids programme! Kids programme, yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the then... goodies and the beanstalk, that one, I think. Well, Thingy, um, one of its progenitors... Um... No, I always get them mixed up. Do not just your set. Mm. I always get that and uh, at last the nineteen forty eight show mixed up. Mm. You know, in that um, you've got and now this this was a kids show that yes. went out at like four p.m. or summer on a Thursday mm. tea time for children, and it was yes. like and now a naked man and the be <laughs> the be Terry Jones sat there bollocko doing his yeah. thing. <laughs> <laughs> just sat at an organ. These guys Wonderful. were fucking savages, mate. Absolutely, absolutely. But God, the benefit of being brought up with that as your kids tell you. Oh, all. and now you're you're frightened to say it's an Indian summer. Absolutely not. I'm afraid we're going to have to cancel you, Michael. Well, I know, I know, but you know, I mean, I don't see what's wrong with that. It's merely a comment on the differences between the northern and southern. Um, hemispheres, hemispheres in terms yeah. of, of seasonal adjustment that's mm -hmm. it um, but you know um, if you want to uh, attack a culture you attack its language dear boy um, so have you got any nice things coming this week uh, well I'm afraid that the big finish uh, splurge uh, continues um, tomorrow I'm I'm due a couple of nice ones a couple of uh, a couple of Doctor Who's coming my way uh, including one that's set in the northwest so they've got an excuse to do the accent I thought maybe this will help me because yes. there's no northern no northern accents in Blake 7 they're all full RP oh, yes. and they were all in the RSC so. there's no northerners in space dear not, not until Christopher not. Eccleston came along yes he did um, so I'm tired yeah, I've got that. I've got that arriving, and then um, I, yes, I'm, I'm going to listen to that. But I don't know the rest. Of the, well, it's a bank holiday weekend, isn't it? I believe so. Yes, yeah, yes. As, so, as your uh, as your glass would suggest, as it does indeed suggest. <laughs> can you imagine how filled that how filled that will be on Monday, and how empty I will be? <laughs> Just like a like a deflated balloon. Yes, yes, yes. I can imagine, dear. Yeah. <laughs> um, as the kite lands on the pylon. Um, oh God, that just went up my nose. Oh, uh, but, Often the problem. Up the nose or not at all, dear. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yes, um, yes. 
the bank holiday doth beckon. I like bank holidays. I used to like mm. bank holidays. Bank holidays used to mean the bless this house film, and it probably does on ITV. Do you, do you, ITV three? Can you still get ITV three in these parts? You can still get ITV three. Oh, ITV four as well is also. Yeah, about a you million find. adverts. ITV four yeah. was wonderful after my mum died. I remember one Sunday night, just because I don't know what it was, probably the vodka, but I um I didn't expect, it. and there came on the telly. Um, Erline with Roy Marsden, which oh. is a brilliant series. The sort of dramatization wonderful. of Freddie Laker, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, it's wonderful. And it, Roy Marsden's a nice thing. Who's the dude in it with the tash? Terence, some or other. You join us on the Alzheimer's Express. Oh God, I want to say Terence Hardiman because I was no idea. Is it Teddy, some or other? Because they're about to start showing Secret Army for the first time in ages. It's getting a repeat. But there'll be a hundred uh, adverts. No, 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 it's on Talking Pictures TV. There will be adverts, but they won't cut anything. And that's right. the problem, um, which I was taking someone to task with the other day over the carry-ons, is that the carry-ons, when you see them on ITV2, they're always on, they're edited to buggery. And I was having this conversation with someone who was insisting this was political correctness. And it, well, it's not. What you've got with them is, of course, it's it's not someone sat there operating play out or anything like that you've you know, they're on a strict schedule so they will cut those films to fit the schedule that's the paramount thing so they aren't cutting the rude bits out they're just going 12 minutes in commercials but we'll just right. chop, chop a minute here or so right uh, right and, right and doing that which is such a shame talking right. pictures tv at least don't do that they show everything so secret army will have adverts but but it's not terence hardy man we're, we're rambling no. the carry-ons have got those funny bits haven't they in some bits where they come to the end of a scene where it looks like the film stops like three generations down mm. do you know what i mean there'll be well, a yeah, scene it's... playing out and then they'll cut to another bit before they go to another scene with a fade and it's... yeah it seems it's the dissolve isn't it i think that what you've got is an actual so. physical dissolve it's not an optical but it's it's going to be a physical effect they've created and of course that's that buggers up and weakens the film but that's it's all the better for it for those moments oh yeah it's kind of it's ju it's just a, an odd little thing that i noticed with carry ons years ago yeah. um i must get ordering some nice things dear boy have I'm you got just... anything coming this week that's nice no I don't think so. Oh, uh, a liar's autobiography. A recommendation from Mr. Roberts again. Graham Chapman. Yeah, yeah. I, I've I not have read it. Up it. There. And yes. Now then, once you have read it, I will pass you away the film, which is right. kind of animated, yes. kind of not. And it's Chapman because he recorded it as an audio book. So it is him yeah. uh, telling it. I read a liar's a autobiography. Yeah, it's, it, it's a wonderful book. It's He's an wonderful. interesting man. I, I watched a couple of interviews with him. Mm. I think there's a Parkinson one on YouTube. Mm. Um, and it's lovely to hear his, his Leicester accent, isn't it? And I, I didn't mm. know that he was the only one that was a grammar school boy. I had assumed that, they you know, were. maybe Palin or one of I the other guys. Had, yeah, he yeah. said he was the only grammar school boy in, in that lot. So he was, you know, quite unconfident, as you would be in the towering mm. presence of all that intellect. But isn't, isn't that amazing? Because when you get him as a performer, and I think uh, there's um, there's a DVD now, this was released about 15 years ago, I don't think it's available now, uh, called Brown Trouser Job. Um, and it's Graham Chapman towards the end of his life. So the video quality is not very good when he started to do lecture tours about comedy. Brilliant. But they were just stand-up, really. And he did them all over North America. 
And the reason for the title is because of his fear of being on stage. Oh, looks like a brown trouser yeah. job in case he shit himself. Um, so you've got that. But then the, the confidence is interesting, isn't it? Because you can tell that that's there, I think, in early Python. But then you get that lovely... There's that lovely story Eric um, Idle tells when they filmed uh, the two specials for Bavarian television. And so they were going all around um, Germany and places like that, and they went to Poland as well. And so one of the things that their guests decided to do was to take them to Auschwitz. Uh, and they turned up there, and it was on a... Auschwitz is closing, so you can't come in. And Chapman just leans forward and says, well, just tell them we're Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. And they're in. And they were in. <laughs> Blimey. I hope they got probably... in because of who they were. But yeah, He'd wonderful. He'd have been pissed to fuck by then as well, you know. Oh. I mean, absolutely. three to four pints of gin a day, he said. It's mm. the story he tells about when he first realised he had a problem. He was half the way up the mountainside on the first day of shooting on um, Holy Grail. Holy Grail, yeah. And he realised he hadn't planned to bring miniatures or anything. So... Oh. He gets up at the hotel, bar's closed. And he says in the story to Parkinson, he's like, you know, none of the film crew had any drink on them. I asked every one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of King Arthur just going round to Oh, you, you haven't got a bottle. What, at six in the morning? Not really, Graham, no. No, you know? no. And so he was like, he said he's up this mountainside and he's shaking, he's got the DTs and... Oh man, it's it's it'll be interesting to read it and mm. compare it to sort of the pale the pale in diaries as well. Yeah, well, I mean, because it is, it's not exactly the most factual book well, ever. The it's title like, would suggest not. Yeah, it's a bit like Rick Mail's um, "Bigger Than Hitler, Better Than Christ." Yeah, um, as well, which is a totally fictional autobiography. Oh, yeah. Well, in Palin's um, diaries, he says when they're on uh, location for the Holy Grail. Chapman was walking naked down the corridor at bedtime and they're all in their rooms and he's like I'm going to bed now I don't necessarily need to be alone <laughs> which always made me laugh yeah. and Palin oh, just I'm... says he's sort of lying there frozen in bed because <laughs> he was a big bugger wasn't he Chapman oh, he was a, a yes. big big guy at the time. He's quite yeah. skinny by the um, the end of the when he stops drinking the end of the seventies early eighties. He looks quite mm. skinny. Um, yes. He's definitely he's definitely a lot less dense between uh, Holy Grail and Life of Brian, isn't he? He's shed he a lot of timber there, really. Um, yeah. So that's the nice thing I've got coming. the The eternal quest for Nutty Comics continues. Obviously, mm. how are we um, doing? Are we nearly there? Any progress? Yes, there was. Uh, I got another twenty odd or something the other day, so I'm about thirty six short now of the two hundred and ninety two run. It still irks me. Why did they stop at two hundred and ninety two? Wouldn't you just print another eight? You would take it You'd to three hundred. Three hundred. You would. No, there's no room for sentiment in big business. To quote well, Graham Chapman, like, mate, I've never understood why Crossroads had to go to four thousand five hundred and ten. So, oh, just four thousand five hundred. That would do it. Episodes. Would they have known? Necessary oh, yes. number it was. Oh, yeah. you've got the lovely VT clocks at the start of Crossroads right. where where they're just enjoying themselves and you can hear Noel Gordon telling people off or they're trying to put each other off. There's a lovely one because, uh, of course, it was made at ATV where the Muppets was made. Yeah. 
And someone does the announcements. So VTR 6795 stroke 73. This is Crossroads. This is episode one, part one. And then from the gallery, they play in the sound of uh, Stel- um, the two grumpy old men, Stalder and Waldorf. Boo, that was terrible. Brilliant. And then you just hear the, the whole... The whole studio cracks up and then it goes to the ATV logo and we're into the episode. That's the love that's Made with love, telly. I was just going to say. That's that, and that's love. that's where we should end. As Rick Mayall said, love is the answer, as Paul Downs' mm. large glass of love. Oh. And um, we will say to you, dear viewers, dear listeners, have a lovely week and until the next time, bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>